I can pray. I can serve. I can believe. I can know him more. I can make a difference. I can choose to do the right thing. I can live for something greater. I can be strong. I can fight. I can lead. I can learn. I can change lives. I can change the world. I can do it. I can love Jesus. I can show others how. I can be a disciple making disciples. Father's Day is special in the Christian community globally because only in the Christian faith, think about this, only in the Christian faith is God revealed as Abba, Daddy, Father. You won't find that in Hinduism. You won't find that in Islam or any of the man-invented religions on this planet. But Jesus revealed God as our Father. And so we celebrate Father's Day in worship, and we welcome all of our fathers to this assembly this morning. It's great to be back home uh, after our trip to Joplin, Missouri, where we celebrated our mother's birthdays. Kayleen's mother was 94 on the 7th of June, and my mother was 96 on the 11th of June, so we, we got some good genes in the family. And many of you are good to ask about them, and I want to tell you all uh, that they're both doing quite well at Spring River Christian Village. Thank you, and thank you for your overwhelming affirmation of the elders' decision to call Andrew and Bree Bondurant to serve with us here at Crossroads in our children's ministry. The congregational vote last weekend, I think it's reflected in your bulletin this morning, was 1,081 yeas and four nays. Now that's a 99.996 affirmation vote. That's, that's great. I want to celebrate just a couple of related blessings that I don't want us to take for granted, but I want us to receive these blessings with gratitude. The first one is the trust and the confidence and the goodwill that are faithfully extended to our elders, and that's evidenced by your positive response to their wise spiritual leadership. Honestly, folks, it is a model of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, and I want you to know that your support makes our elders' work a joy and not a burden. The second blessing I want us to celebrate is that we are blessed with truly exceptional leaders and volunteers in our children's ministry. Every weekend, they provide excellent children's programming in another part of this building, and in eight years, I have never once heard anything but praise for what our children receive from week to week, and I get it not only from the children but also from the parents, and I'm confident the addition of Andrew Bondurant will help to take our children's ministry to the next level. Okay, let's get down to business, shall we? We've been intentionally, over these four weeks, laying a foundation to build a stronger partnership with you, our Crossroads parents and grandparents, 
to address the challenge of raising our children, raising our grandchildren God's way. And we have entitled this series of messages, The Most Important Disciples You Will Ever Make. And we've been trying to provide both the motivation and the methods to ensure that Christ is formed in your kids between birth and age 18. And I'm telling you, it'll take a strong partnership because in this generation, the forces of spiritual darkness are moving strategically and they are moving aggressively against the truth that is revealed in God's Word and the character that is personified in Jesus. In recent years, the scientific community, the entertainment industry, and the federal government have all jumped into bed with the ACLU, the LGBT Alliance, and Americans for the separation of church and state, and their agenda is to support atheistic evolution, to support uninhibited hedonism, and to support liberal legislation that are destroying the foundations of moral and civil law in our country. I want to say this humbly and kindly. It's not an overstatement to say that the traditional family that you and I are used to, the biblical family and the evangelical church are under attack today. And this was demonstrated in a very dramatic act that happened this past week in Charleston. And we want to be in prayer for our African-American brothers and sisters in that church who suffered the kind of loss that we can identify with. Can you imagine if it happened here? Well, so far we have considered three tools for discipling your children. You'll remember love and acceptance. That was four weeks ago. Patience and understanding. Last weekend, time and attention. And this week, discipline and instruction. And I promise you, if you employ these four methods with your children, and if you'll let us partner with you as your church during these formative years between birth and age 18, you're going to see positive outcomes in the lives of your children during what I would call the determinative years. These are the years from 18 to about age 33, when the blueprint of their lives shifts from being in front of you, where you're drawing in the lines. At age 18 or so, you will flip it around and you will put it in front of them and they will be, begin making decisions and ordering their lives in such a way that they will draw in the lines on the blueprint of their lives. 18 years is not very long. This partnership between Christian families and the church has got to be strong. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, if we do it right, will start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Here's another translation. Teach children how they should live, and they will remember it all their lives. And as you know, this is more of a prediction than it is a promise. It is a likely outcome that your children will not turn away from it. That is, they will remember what they have been taught as they mature in the years ahead. But whether in each case they live God-honoring lives depends on the exercise of their free wills. Because it's one thing 
to know the truth. It's one thing to be taught, and it's another thing to obey what you know is right. Now, exhibit A, in making the case for discipling your children in a committed partnership with the church for the first 18 years of their lives is demonstrated in the families of the elders that you have chosen to lead this church. And last night, I took time to introduce all of them and their children and their, what their children are doing and how they are thriving spiritually. And it took 10 minutes. I don't have that kind of time this morning. So we're going to buzz through this list. But I want you to see, these are our Crossroads elders. First, you have Dan Ahrens and his wife, Sherry. They have two sons. And their sons' names are Nick and John. They're up and married and on their own. And then there's Jack Arney, his wife, Carol. They have four kids, Jared, Aslan, Gavin, and Malia. And then Elder Scott Brooks, his wife, Corey. They have three daughters, Carly, Mandy, and Allie. And then our late bloomer with the youngest kids, Todd Bussey, his wife, Amanda. And you see Noah and Micah in the slide. And then Elder Brian Gower, his wife, Dawn. They have three daughters, Whitley, Alyssa, and Sydney. Larry Grippenstraw and his wife, Becky. They have one son, Zach. Elder Brett Hurt, his wife, Kendra. Two daughters, Alexa and Meredith. Randy McGuire and his wife, Christy, have three children, Matthew, Molly, and Morgan. And then Elder Alan Mounts and his wife, Brenda. They have two children, Rebecca and Alex. Elder Randy Schultz and his wife, Anne, have two daughters, Sarah and Caroline. Elder John Smith, his wife Anne, have three daughters, Katie, Andrea, and Elizabeth. Elder Paul Special and his wife Lori have four daughters, Brittany, Taylor, Haley, and Harper. Elder Phil Stiver and his wife Jan have three daughters, Anna, Becca, and Sarah. And I hope somebody is having some boys in the world. <laughs> Lots of girls. Elder Matt Volkman and his wife, Julie, three children, Austin, Addison, and Ainsley. And Tom Webster, his wife, Brenda, three children, Kevin, James, and Sarah. And last but not least, Jeff Whiteside, his wife, Becky. They have two daughters, Hillary and Haley. These are our elders. Those are their families. I know these men. I know their marriages. I know their families. I know their children. I wish I had time to tell you how their children are thriving professionally and spiritually. They are exhibit A, that this partnership that we're trying to establish with you, raising your children, discipling them at home, and discipling them in partnership with your local church, it works. It is God's plan. And once again, this final weekend in our series, we find Jesus with his disciples around a table. And the occasion is the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22. And this time, Jesus is going to model the discipline and the instruction that he used in the process of discipling the 12. And there's some valuable application for us 
as we seek to disciple our children around the tables in our homes. Now, this is especially relevant today because it's Father's Day, and the words of Ephesians chapter 4 come to mind. They're very specific. Fathers, do not exasperate, that is, confuse, irritate your children. Instead, bring them up, here it is, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are to be the ones who monitor and ensure that their children progress in the areas of godly behavior and godly attitude. So I want us to take a look at what transpired on that night in Luke chapter 22 at the Last Supper because there are some moments of discipline and there are some moments of instruction and there are some things that we as parents can take away that will help us with the most important disciples we ever make our own kids. And we'll also see that there's something for every one of us here this morning. Well, the first thing we ought to learn this morning is to instruct our children to remember what is most important. Teach them to remember what's most important. Jesus. Luke chapter 22, verse 14 says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. We're going to flash a little bit ahead in the text. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So what Jesus is doing here at the Last Supper is he is instituting the Lord's Supper, communion. And in this church, we have a high view of baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion because Scripture teaches that special grace is conferred on those who observe them. Now, some say, well, you make communion too common because you observe it every Lord's Day. But how can it be common if it is the centerpiece in our worship services? And I really don't know anyone observing it weekly who considers it to be common. But I do know a lot of families that have landed at crossroads because communion is offered weekly, not annually, not quarterly, or not whenever the pastor feels like it's a good time. Jesus considered it a priority. He instituted it on the night before he died. He said, take this bread and take this cup in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. I remember those words being carved into a wooden communion table front and center in the sanctuary of my home church in remembrance of me. Here's the application for us. Teach your children what is most important in life. To remember Jesus. To never forget about Jesus, to honor and worship and be mindful of Jesus. When you go off to college, when you get married, when you start your own family, when you start a new job, when you move to another part of the country, 
Remember Jesus. Not just when the church assembles, not just during communion service, but every day and in every circumstance of life. Play Christian music in your home. Buy Christian books and subscriptions. Hang pictures and plaques on the wall. Be creative in instructing your children to remember what is most important. Young boy came to Sunday school late. His teacher knew that he was usually very prompt, so she asked him if anything was wrong, and the boy replied, no, that he was going fishing, but his dad told him he needed to go to church instead. Well, the teacher was impressed, and she asked the boy if his dad explained to him why it was more important to worship than to go fishing on the Lord's Day, to which the boy replied, yes, he did. Dad said he didn't have enough bait for both of us. Ouch. There's, there's comedy and there's tragedy in that little story. Dads, teach them to remember what's most important, Jesus. Protect that bond between your family and the church. Second thing we learn is to discipline our children or to confront them to be truthful, to discipline them to be truthful. That is, to live their lives with no secrets. Take a look at verse 21, Luke chapter 22. Jesus said, this is at the Last Supper, around the table, Jesus said, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Well, as, are you as amazed as I am that Judas, even, that Judas even showed up for the Last Supper? He'd already arranged to betray Jesus for the price of a slave. So he comes into the room, and he is living with a very dark secret. He is living a lie here. And Jesus confronted the elephant in the room. He said, my betrayer has his hand on the table with me right now. And can't you see the disciples lifting their hands off of the table? And in this moment of truth, Judas could have repented. He could have come clean. He could have said, okay, I confess, it's me, Lord. Could have turned to the other disciples and said, I, I'm sorry, brothers, I was weak. I was wrong, and I'm not going to go through with it. But when he was confronted, and he should have confessed, when he should have told the truth, he just chose not to do it. He's going to continue to cover up. Now, we don't see that happening at all in our world today. People will lie straight-faced even when you've got them on video camera. Well, that's not me. That's got to be somebody else, somebody that looks a whole lot like me. Parents, in discipling your children, discipline them. Discipline them not to lie, not to cover up. Insist that your children live honestly before you, that they not live with secrets. And you'll be glad if you start when they're young. I said before that we raise our kids with just three spanking offenses, willful disobedience, disrespectful speech, and lying. And they would tell you that the toughest discipline was for lying. So I counsel you this morning as parents, attach consequences of some kind 
to lying, even if you know it's going to be unpleasant. Because if you don't attach consequences to your children's lies, life will, life will impose much harsher discipline. Don't let this one go. I'm telling you, this is a hill worth dying on for their sake, for their sake. Here's some practical tips. One thing you can do is start when they're young and read to them books about honesty. There are a lot of good ones, uh, books like Princess Kim and the Lie That Grew, books like Tell the Truth, B.B. Wolf, and there are others in our resource center. There's also a series from Focus on the Family, the Odyssey series. It's a great uh, series. Your children can listen to Bible-related stories about truth-telling as they drift off to sleep at night. It's a good thing. Second thing to do is to set an example. Kids learn about truth from you. Think about the negative message you're sending to your kids when you break promises to them or when they see you concoct an excuse to stay home from work or they hear you privately badmouth the relatives or when you say to your kids, tell them, I'm not here. Carlton Kendrick is a family therapist, and he is the author of a book with a funny title. Here's the title of his book. Take out your nose ring, honey. We're going to grandma's. <laughs> it's, about, it's about the blind spots of parents who sow these little seeds of dishonesty in their children, teach their children to pretend, to cover up, to do whatever they have to to look good. Here's another thing you can do is give kudos for honesty. If you reward truthful behavior, that's the best way to make it happen again. So when your five-year-old owns up to accidentally knocking over his sister's dollhouse, praise him for telling the truth, affirm him for confessing, but that doesn't mean he gets out of cleaning up the mess. Fourthly, make them apologize. It may take discipline sometimes for that to happen. But whether they're preschoolers or teenagers, they need to learn to say those four little three-word statements that are so critical to all healthy relationships in the family, with their friends throughout life. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. It's amazing how many grown-ups, even senior adults sometimes, who have never learned to say those words, teach your kids those words. Discipline them to be truth-tellers. Three, instruct them or teach them to be humble, to be servant-spirited. Verse 24, Luke chapter 22, this happened there at the Last Supper. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Now, we're all familiar with the jockeying for position that the disciples were prone to do from time to time. Well, have you ever seen that happen among your own kids? This jockeying for position, who's going to have the inside track, who's going to be the, 
the greatest. Well, this was another of those occasions when the disciples talked about who was the greatest, and at the Last Supper was a poor time to do it. But once again, Jesus takes the time to patiently correct their thinking, to teach them His better way. And He tells them, don't be like the Gentile rulers that you resent so much. He said, humbly serving is the way to greatness. Now, in our kid-centric culture, we risk raising a generation of young adults who feel entitled if they aren't required to work in the home, if they aren't required to work out of the home, if they have unlimited TV channels with every imaginable program, if they have electronic devices with every available entertainment option, it'll limit their creativity. It'll limit their initiative. It will limit their work ethic. The satisfaction and fulfillment of serving others are not experiences that kids today will have without intentional parental intervention. I heard about a married couple that, that fussed about how rich, how important, how influential each of their respective families was. Well, the wife finally got fed up, and she said, okay, I will admit one thing. Your in-laws are much better than mine. That's what the disciples should have taken away from the teaching of Jesus about true greatness. Even if you win the argument about who's the greatest, you'll lose because the greatest shall be the least and the least shall be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So make sure, make sure your children learn about humility and a servant spirit at your family table. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that our 10-year-old grandsons stayed with us during VBS week here at Crossroads. One evening for dinner at home, the boys got up without saying a word, and they took our dishes to the sink, and then they proceeded to clear the table. Two 10-year-old boys. Kayleen and I looked at each other and said, I don't remember our kids doing this. <laughs> and, of course, we patted their heads and let our 10-year-old grandsons know how impressed we were that they served us and probably had something to do with the fact that they wanted us to hurry up and get over to the church lawn for the big fireworks display. But that's okay. Fourth, discipline your children. Warn your children to be faithful. Look at verse 31. This is a tender exchange between Simon Peter and Jesus. It's at the Last Supper. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, there are two powerful discipling influences found in this encounter at the Last Supper at the table. One is prayer and the other is a warning. Jesus told Peter that he'd prayed for him by name. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. Then Jesus warned Peter about what was coming so he could avoid failing. And there's so much to say here. And I'm about out of time. I won't get it all said. But folks, I know people can get a little tired of hearing their pastor illustrate from his family life. And I, I get that. Listen. 
I'm going to tell you, we didn't do everything right. Like most of you, we were in our 20s and 30s and 40s when we brought up our kids. And there's a long list of what I would do differently with our children if I could do it over again. I could share my failures and shortcomings as a father, like the times that, that I was unfocused and I was irritable. About the times I was gone from home too much, being too much of a tightwad, <laughs> too restrictive about insignificant matters. I was too much of a detective. I didn't trust my kids as much as I should have. I was an impulsive Mr. Fix-It when I should have been a careful listener. I didn't do everything perfect. But I did a couple of things right. We did a couple of things right. And I want to mention them to you to give you the encouragement, the resolve, to help you succeed in your most vital assignment in life, discipling your own children, seeing Christ formed in them during these first 18 years. Here they are. Pray for your kids and warn them to be faithful. Do you pray for your children? Do your children know that you pray for them? Jesus let Peter know. He told Peter, I pray for you. Your kids need your prayers above all others, and they need to know that their parents pray for them. Our children saw their mother's Bible and prayer journal out on the table, and they would later tell us that they opened it up, and they found their names, and they saw their mother's prayer list for their future marriages and for their life issues. And they heard their father pray on his knees by their bedside every night that he was at home that they would be leaders, that they would be influencers of others for Jesus. It matters. And I believe you can do some things wrong in parenting if you do the most important things right. And just as Jesus prayed for Peter and he let him know it, he also warned Peter. So warn your kids Warn your kids about what they will confront in life as a serious Christ follower. Warn them about peer pressure. Warn them about sexual temptation. Warn them about drugs and alcohol and cheating in school and the anti-Christian bias in the media and the higher educational system and the materialistic values of a secular society. Warn your kids to be faithful to Jesus. Warn them. Not to forget him, not to deny him, not to forsake him. And above all else, let them know if they fail, they can always turn back and find you right where you've always been. Jesus said to Peter, when you fail, that is when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. We need to let our children know about God's grace when they go out into life and that they can turn back. This morning in the seats, the end of the pews all through the worship center, you'll see this cardboard stock a little piece that has Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. That's where we started in this series on the most important disciples you'll ever make. I want to invite every father in this place, every grandfather in this place, every aspiring father in this place to pick up one of these. I have one framed up in my study right now. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
love the Lord your God. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. If you're a father, this is the most important assignment you have in your life. It's been a wonderful four weeks. It's come to a close. And I hope that what has happened is you've got the tools to disciple your own children around the table, in your home, and in partnership with this church. Love and acceptance. Patience and understanding. Time and attention. Discipline and instruction. You'll never regret it if you embrace these and live them out. Will you stand with me for prayer? Lord, you are creator of the universe and all that is. And yet we know you as our Father. And we thank you for that today. Thank you for loving us and for letting us love you and for teaching our children to love you above all. We pray, our Father, that there would be resolve in every heart as we close this service to obey these things and thrive and live an abundant life now and an eternity with our loved ones in the greater life in Jesus' name.